Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience Podcast. This is episode number 30. Yeah, man, so thank you for hanging out with me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. So here's what's up, right? Over the next several uh, episodes, um, we are going to kind of challenge our thinking and discuss a few topics with a metaphysical feel to them, right? Like astrology, a transcendental meditation, um, angels, all these kinds of things. And um, we're going to investigate and see how or if they've been a part of the Christian heritage at one time or another. Because one of the things that I found to be incredibly interesting as I study the history of, uh, of Christianity, right? From an independent mindset as opposed to that which is superimposed on me by others. But as I begin to really kind of study it for myself, it's amazing how many of these things um, that have been demonized were um, throughout the history of Christianity um, a part of the traditional practice of it, right? So it's really interesting, and, and I think you're going to enjoy it. And so what I've tried to do is I have several podcasts that have already been recorded, and what I've tried to do with them is to gather people who are sincerely experts in the subject, right? So some of these uh, are people of my personal faith tradition, which is Christian, and some of them are of other traditions, such as pagan or Buddhist and so on. And so this is an attempt to hopefully really gain, I think, the best information that we can. And uh, I'm excited about it today. Some of the podcasts that I've recorded already are incredibly uh, interesting and informative, which actually brings me to my guest today. So today, um, I have with me the president of the Astrological Association of St. Louis, Missouri, a guy named Bill Duvendak. He's a, um, he's a published author, teacher, a personal friend, and um, he's just really a brilliant guy. Now, in the conversation, you'll probably notice a couple of things. First of all, He's brilliant on this subject, as well as several topics that we hit on. He is also my wife's um, teacher and mentor in the use of tarot, which is um, which has been really interesting. Now, uh, he's a pagan. He's a uh, published author. He is a guy who... Um, is really a personal friend. He's a he's a very good guy. We've known him for a while now, Gina and I, and we like him a lot. Now, additionally, you'll also notice the lovely voice of uh, my wife, Gina, as she um, joins this conversation, kind of co-hosts with me, and uh, was really glad to have her um, be a part of this. So she brings, I think, because she's also. Uh, pretty knowledgeable on this subject as well. 
Um, and Bill, of course, is her, her teacher. So she brings kind of a lot to the conversation. Anyway, I think you guys will enjoy it. It's uh, pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, also, remember, uh, if you dig it, man, jump online and let people know, you know, on your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. I would sincerely appreciate it. All right, man, let's jump into the conversation about astrology and God with uh, my guest, Bill Duvendash. Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler. Welcome to the Black Sheep Experience podcast. Um, all right, man, so I've got a very, I think, a, a really cool uh, podcast going today. I have a couple of guests with me um, that you haven't met before. One of them uh, you've heard about quite a bit, and that's my wife, Gina. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Thanks for having me here today. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, one of the uh, reasons that Gina is um, kind of hanging out with us today is because I have a guy um, named Bill Duvendak who um, we're going to bring into the conversation in just a moment. He's very interesting. First of all, I, I consider him to be a friend, but um, he's really an, an expert in so many so many ways. And so, one of the reasons that Gina wanted to join is because Bill is actually. Uh, her teacher or instru- instructor, I guess, in the practice of astrology. And mm-hmm. so how, how long has that been going on now? Um, my first class was about a year and a half ago. And then um, I've been in the program with him now since January. Okay. Okay. So it's awesome. Yeah. You're enjoying it, I know. Oh, yeah. I look forward to it. And, and I love all the exercises. That we do, so. Yeah, so we think a, a lot of Bill, and um, he is a 30-year uh, practitioner uh, and student of Western Mysteries. He's internationally known astrologer, a psychic, a teacher, an author. He's a lifetime member and president of the Astrological Association of St. Louis. So welcome to the podcast, Bill Duvendak. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, and thank you for having me. It is something I've been looking forward to for a while. Oh, yeah, me too, man. Um, we've been, I don't know how long, I guess, uh, maybe friends for about a year and a half now. And um, so we have some different ideas, but we have a lot of similar ideas too. And so it's really been, I guess, an honor and and a, and a blessing for us to, to get to know you. So thanks for, uh, you know, allowing us into your life. <laughs> Oh, my pleasure, and it's been great knowing the two of you too. Yeah, we we met you in an interesting time because we're we're definitely, I guess, in a place of exploration. And so, for me, um, as Gina has kind of been diving into the astrology stuff, I sort of, uh, I, and I don't know anything about it. I'm going to be very honest with you. Uh, but but I there's been a few things that have piqued my interest. Now, so one of the things I wanted to start off with is that um, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been into astrology for probably innumerable years, but how how long have you been doing this, basically? Uh, Astrology, I've been doing it for about 12 to 13 years or so. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew about it ahead of time, but I 
was not working with it to the degree that I am now until then. Yeah, but you know, you're you're definitely, an, I think, an expert in the field. A lot of people seem to think very highly of you, and I, I know the thing, the times that I've heard you teach, they've been incredibly insightful. Um, now, now, so one of the things, just to get it out of the way, is your belief system basically, and I realize this is a huge, broad term, but your base, your belief system basically falls under the umbrella of of pagan, and so. Our belief system, which also is kind of, it's a little more defined, but it's still a very broad term, falls under the umbrella of Christianity. But astrology isn't really owned by either of those systems. It's independent of, of any really religious system. Would that be true? or? Oh, completely true. Uh, and this is something that gets debated quite a bit, is that astrology is one of the world's oldest sciences. And some people say that it's not a science or that it's a pseudoscience, but it works on the same scientific principles as any other subject. And what trips people up is it's a soft science, not a hard science. So it can really fit in any spiritual system in any spiritual context. Okay. So when, when we talk about that, and I'm uh, sorry I don't know, kind of know some of these terms, but so what would be the difference between like a soft science and a hard science? So a hard science is kind of like uh, mathematics or architecture or engineering where one plus one equals two every time that you do it. Okay. So hard sciences are very finite in that level. Now, astrology works on scientific method of thinking. It works on scientific principles, but there's still the interpretation that goes with it. So it's very similar to archaeology or anthropology or psychology or physiology okay so a lot of people look for astrology to be a hard science but it's not it is looking at facts and evidence like hard sciences but there's still that human component of the subjective interpretation that goes with it mm-hmm. but but it's been a it's been a major part of Almost every culture and, I guess, religious system throughout the history of mankind. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's uh, extremely accurate, actually. Okay. So here's the interesting thing, I guess, for me, is um, I, I came from a very evangelical context. Uh, um, obviously, I'm not really there anymore. Um, I still have my belief in Christ and, and that in that setting, but I definitely would not label myself as ev- evangelical by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and still, uh, what's interesting to me is as I begin to explore more and more about different ideas that have existed within my tradition, it seems to me, and perhaps you can expound upon this, that um, astrology has been a major part of the Hebrew and uh, Christian community or culture, society, for a very long time. It, it's completely interwoven within the context, uh, particularly of their, of their practice and of you know, the text that they would call truth. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's very true, actually. And to go a step further with details on the Christian side of it, not only do you see it interwoven with Christianity, you also see it interwoven with Judaism. Okay. So the whole family of beliefs that stem from Abraham all have astrology in them in one way or another. 
Okay. All right. So let's dive into that just a little bit because um, I want to set the I want to set the stage here that um, you know there's a lot of people I think that are exploring, especially from my tradition because it, it has been so theologically based and not experience based, and uh, all the principles have been laid out for them. And quite frankly, a lot of those principles don't work because I think they're so they're they're religion. They're man made. So, so there's people that are kind of trying to look for ways to integrate, I guess, truth and experience into their practice. So I, I want to set the stage a little bit. What are some of the ways that astrology has been interwoven into Judaism and, and Christianity? So <laughs> I'm glad you asked because there's a lot of fun in the answer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> first of all, not everybody realizes that the reason that the date for Easter changes every year is because it is astrologically timed. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest one right there. It shows that astrology is still used in that belief system, and we see it every year. The date for Easter is chosen by the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Mm. So if you if you have a calendar that doesn't have it marked for some strange reason, you can always figure it out. Right. So it's it's still living in that tradition. Uh, to look at it from a Jewish perspective, the early Jewish calendars were lunar based, so they were they were based on the cycles of the moon. Also of note is that the twelve tribes of Israel are oftentimes correlated to the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Mm. And that's also true of the 12 disciples of Christ. Each one corresponds to a different astrological sign. And from time to time on the Internet, you'll find articles about which, uh, which apostle was which astrological sign. And the famous painting of the Last Supper oftentimes gets dissected through that lens too wow so right there we see uh three four examples of how astrology is interwoven in a way that not everybody realizes and then there are are subtler ways too Uh, for example uh There's a phrase from the New Testament, and forgive me for not being able to chapter and verse it, but Jesus is reported to have said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. Mm -hmm. Now, some people use that as justification for reincarnation being part of Christianity because they say the mansions are our different incarnations. But another way to look at that phrase is that there is a system from astrology from India called the mansions of the moon. So when he's saying, in my father's house there are many mansions, he's also saying, in the sky there are many divisions of the sky. Mm. So it kind of points to God being in the heavens above. Mm. And that's that's more subtle, and that's more open to interpretation, but I like it because it shows an integration of Eastern and Western thought, 
And that's something that Jesus is known for doing, is synthesizing a lot of Eastern beliefs into a Western context. Yeah, I uh, we could talk about that. That could be a whole separate thing because I'm really <laughs> into that right now. But you know, that a lot of people don't realize that the that I mean, Christianity, Judaism, it's really an Eastern based religion. And then uh, you know, we got a hold of it and all that. But <laughs> so. yeah, there's a there's a couple of good uh, authors for starting points for people that might be listening to it that want to explore it further. Uh, there was a couple in the late 50s, 60s, and 70s that did extensive research on this. Uh, The lady's name was Elizabeth Clare Prophet and her husband, Mark Prophet, and they did a lot of research into the initiations that Jesus took, and they go into great depth and detail about the Eastern influences into Christianity. Well, wow. Now, I've I've heard of her name... I haven't I haven't dug into it at all, but yeah, that is interesting. That that gives me a little more inspiration to maybe take some time and do that. But I do know there's a lot of integration there. Uh, additionally, so whenever we talk about and, and perhaps you know I'm, I'm I'm basing this off of uh, what I remember, but the Magi or the wise men that uh, are led to Christ. Obviously, they're led by a star. They know that he's being born because they read the stars. Is it a leap to say that these guys were astrologers? Uh, it's not a leap at all, actually. It's, it's pretty believed that they were uh, Persian astrologers and magis. And it's funny that you, you mentioned the star of Bethlehem because astrologically, this, this gets talked about a lot with professional astrologers trying to figure out what the star was that they were following. And it's pretty much decided it was one of two events. It was either the conjunction of the planet Saturn and Jupiter, and it was just shining the brightest in the night sky. So they followed that. And another theory that's out there is that the bright star that they followed was actually a supernova. There was a supernova that happened around that time that was uh, bright enough to be seen here from Earth. And we know this because Chinese historical records record that supernova. So we don't know if it was a Saturn-Jupiter conjunction or if it was the supernova in the sky, but no matter how you look at it, it points to a divine birth which then goes hand-in-hand with Christianity. Wow, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, it really is. Yeah, very cool. I just wanted to say, hi, Bill. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, you know, with the wise men, the story of the wise men, that was what triggered me to want to learn more because um, most of Craig's listeners know that we pastored a church for many years, probably at least 15 years, if I remember correctly. But, you know, with um, a fundamentalist background, you're constantly being told that astrology is wrong, reading your horoscope is wrong. And um, I just can never reconcile the fact about the wise men. You know, they were never rebuked in Scripture. You know, they were um, honored, honestly. And, um, you know, through astrology that actually led them to Jesus. 
So right, I mean, exactly. So that right there was like, I need to learn more about this. You know, sometimes you just need to get over your fear of what religion is teaching you mm. all of your life and say, no, I'm going to find out for myself. Right. Exactly. And what's what's causing a decline in, in church attendance or what a lot of people are getting turned off by is the extreme dogma where they try and cram a belief down your throat and there's no opportunity to explore it on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a podcast with a friend of mine here in St. Louis, uh, Matt uh, Miofsky, who is the lead minister of the Gathering Church. And one of the things that he asked me was, being an outsider, what would I say is the biggest thing that Christianity needs to change to adapt? And I said, well, cut back on the dogma. Mm-hmm. The, the people still believe. They're still seeking. They still want what Christianity has to offer. They're just tired of people telling them what they can and can't believe. Right. Yeah, people have a spiritual hunger. And if they mm-hmm. can't be fed in the church, they're going to yeah, find... Yeah, and, and that hunger is only growing because with the interconnectedness of the planet through technology... If you don't like what your local church is doing, there are plenty of ways to connect with people regionally or globally who share your beliefs, and you can still get spiritual fulfillment without needing the community of a church. Right. Yeah, that, and I think that that's one of the one of the reasons that you see the decline. Actually, is because it's getting harder and harder for some guy behind a a piece of wood to force dogma down everybody's throat because they can just go home and jump on the internet and say, you know, (laughs) is astrology going to send me to hell? And Google's going to give you a million different options to choose from. You know what I mean? Exactly. Which which I think is totally healthy. I I, I do think there's an A, and this this maybe goes, uh, well, certainly, well, it doesn't go beyond the boundaries of Christianity, but it goes beyond the boundaries of religion. I do think there's an innate intuition, whether that, that comes from God or the divine or it's just part of being a human being, I don't know. But there's an innate intuition that we have been told for so many years as Christians to ignore. When I really think that that's a falsehood. I think that intuition is there to lead you. And obviously you're going to make mistakes along the way and perhaps have beliefs that will change everybody's beliefs change through time. But I do think there's this intuition that leads us to follow after and explore new ideas. And and I know in in Gina's case, um, sometimes she's, I think, a little more ambitious maybe than than I am. She's braver than I am. (laughs) But she's, she's explored a lot of really interesting things. And as she begins to explain some of those, my interest gets piqued. Well, you know, I feel about that. You can't be in a position of leadership telling people certain things are wrong because you've been told they're wrong. At at a point there, you realize you have a responsibility to figure out what you think before you just start condemning people for things that you're not even sure of yourself. Yeah. So. So... All right. So obviously Christianity is, or, or astrology is interwoven within the Christian context. Um, we, we see it with the Magi. We see it. Now, now, there's something, too, that I looked up from the book of Job called the Maseroth. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, yeah, you're saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. So, so can you tell me a little bit about that as well? You know, to be 
honest with you, I'm kind of rusty on that because I haven't looked at it in uh, a number of years. But the basic premise behind it is to show astrological codes in the scriptures. It's to show breakdowns of beliefs from an astrological context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the oldest and most well-known book that covers that subject. And I say that because since the counterculture revolution of the 1960s, several people have investigated related subjects and it what it does is it really kind of flushes out an entire system you know uh, there's a lot that's talked about about this in the western tradition with coded writings of the old testament and we know about it a lot in the in the new testament already but more and more research is done to say okay, well, these words were written in this particular fashion. What does that mean beyond the surface explanation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's interesting to me, I guess, is that, um, you know, it, it's been hidden for so long, I guess, from mainstream Christianity. And, and it's kind of a shame because you find it interwoven throughout the entire text. And like you were talking about with the 12, uh, nation, or the, the 12 disciples, for instance, um, that sounds interesting, and I guess the best way to explore those kinds of things perhaps is just to, to do your own research, uh, and I don't know what you've done with that, but um, is, that be, is that how you would recommend somebody kind of proceeding? Yeah, and the reason for it is actually a reason that you mentioned earlier, which is just to, to follow your intuition. Mm-hmm. You know, if your intuition says, hey, look in this direction then look in that direction. Uh, This was something that Matt and I talked about on that same podcast, and he talked about it in a sermon too when I was there at his church, which is simply that if you are a superficial believer, you stick with a spiritual system until you hit bedrock, and then you jump to another spiritual system. And on one hand, it's good to have that understanding of variety and different perspectives, but on the other hand, it means you'll never get to the deeper mysteries of your own spiritual system. Because basically, what it's saying is, when you hit a when you hit a point, you choose to go someplace else rather than to work harder or research further to get through the block that you're in. I believe this was the subject of a letter in the New Testament I think it was one of the Galatians where uh, where it's discussed that spiritual systems are like a smorgasbord and you want to be careful with that mm-hmm. yeah so I guess the uh, and we've had lots of conversations one of the things I've appreciated uh, so much about you is um, just allowing uh, me to be wherever I am and ask whatever questions I have, you know, mm-hmm. as uh, repetitive as they may be from time to yeah, time. Yeah, because Bill, <laughs> Bill is wonderful. I mean, seriously, one of the most patient and non-judgmental people I've ever met. I agree. Well, with, yeah, yeah, I can tell you anything. Thank you for that. Yeah, I can tell you anything, and um, you you just help. You know, you you're there to help. 
whether you know you agree with my beliefs or not, you're going to shed some light, and um, you're going to be a blessing regardless. So, thank you. Well, and and you know, my basic philosophy is I. You know, don't take this the wrong way, but I don't give a shit what you believe as long as you're bettering yourself as a person and not doing harm to others. Mm-hmm. Then who cares? Yeah, absolutely. You I, know, I, better I, thyself. Yeah, I agree with yeah, I, I agree with that, and, and I think that you know, so many people. I mean, religion becomes obviously even within Christian history, we can see that it can be this very violent and uh, horrific thing. You know. So yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get started on all that. But all right, so 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 let me because <laughs> I'll say something that that'll make people mad. Uh, so let's talk about this a little bit. Um, what's the difference between what you do, okay, uh, astrology in 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 the context of what you and I are discussing right now, as opposed to what you well we don't find it in the newspaper anymore but you know just those like those daily horoscope things that sometimes don't really make sense or line up with your life what tell, tell me a little bit about the difference there well i'll start with an anecdote from my own life uh when i was when i was around six or seven i wanted to be an astronomer and then i found out that most astronomers sit inside behind a radio telescope And this would have been the late 70s and early 80s. And I thought, well, no, I want to be out with the night sky. Mm -hmm. So when I found that out, I said, okay, well, forget astronomy. And I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And on Sundays, it's back when they had the sun sign horoscopes on the Sunday paper. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll become an astrologer. Well, For a few months, I read my sun sign horoscope, and it was always wrong. And I said, well, this astrology must be bunk. So then fast forward 20 years or so, and I meet a a dear friend of mine who encourages me to look into astrology. And I told her my concerns, and she said, well, you're not the same person now that you were then. Give it another look. And I did, and what I discovered was that it wasn't that astrology didn't work, it's that the authors of those horoscopes were crappy astrologers. <laughs> okay, I like it. And it, it changed the way that I looked at astrology, and then further down the road, it changed the way that I wrote about astrology. A lot of the outdated techniques for writing astrology is... Let's say that your sun sign is an Aries. Well, an astrologer will write a lot of vague generalities aimed at Aries. But then you read it and you're like, this doesn't connect with me at all. And it's it's forcing a square peg into a round hole. Mm. So the approach that I take when I write my sun sign horoscopes, because I do, you know, people still love them. Mm-hmm. is instead of catering like that to a sign, I explain what's going on in the sky and how it might impact you because I'm a believer of free will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's more like a celestial weather report. Now, what I do too is I do astrological chart interpretations for people to break down their charts 
So it's a lot deeper than the sun sign horoscope stuff that you'll read in the newspaper. It's more personalized because it talks about where you're at. It talks about what you're doing. It's, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's more special because it's saying, yeah, you're an Aries, but you're not an Aries like another Aries. You are your own unique self. And most times people get frustrated reading their sun sign horoscopes and they just give up on the whole subject rather than sticking with it to try to make sense of it. And I completely understand where they come from. You know, for 21 years, I was turned off of astrology for the, the, the story that I just gave. So if somebody says, yeah, I read my horoscope for a while and, and it didn't connect, so astrology must be crap. You know, I don't argue with them. Because whatever they read was probably crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. right yeah. well, well, one of the things that I have down to ask you today is about the birth chart and, um, and the, the ascendant sign and the moon sign. Because I think most people that have a Christian background probably are familiar with their sun sign. You know, where the sun was in the sky when they were born. But... Um, they don't know what a moon sign is or an ascendant sign or a birth chart or an ephemeris. And um, so I just was like, they might need to know how a birth chart can help them, you know, find some success in their life and maybe overcome obstacles. It might be a yeah, good place and, to start. Well, and that's an important point. Astrology, especially the birth chart, is based on the idea that when you were born, the planets in the sky and the stars in the sky work as like a celestial fingerprint so it's a patterning of energy that is exerted on the person when they're born now the tricky part is that some facets of astrology are determined by the time of birth and not everybody has access to the time of their birth but almost everybody knows the day they were born. There's a book, and you mentioned it, called An Ephemeris. And what an ephemeris is, is it's a list of planets in signs on any given day. So you can, you can basically scroll to the day you were born, and you can at least see your, your sun sign, your moon sign, and then where all the other planets were on the day you were born. So if you can't have a birth chart done because you don't have your birth time there's still a lot of value in astrology by using an ephemeris mm-hmm. yeah so you know it's interesting because the first class i took with you um uh i we we talked for a few moments and i said you know when i read an aries i mean i i am impatient and and uh you know and all that kind of stuff. I, I am that. But when I, when you read about an Aries, it's like this guy, this Aries guy is an ass, you know. <laughs> and, and and I don't think that I am that way. And and so you you mentioned, <laughs> uh, she's giving me yeah. So oh, may, may, yeah. maybe I am no. But we talked about the fact that nah. not not everybody uses even uses the sun sign, and and really it's it's much more than just. Picking up a, you know, I don't know, jumping on a website and saying, okay, I was born on March 29th. That makes me an Aries. And so now I fall in line with every attribute that falls under the attributes of Aries, right? It's much more complex than that. 
Exactly, and that's uh, that's something I experience all the time with astrology. My sun sign is Pisces, but I have very few Pisces characteristics because of other planets and other things that are going on in my chart. So if I ever read a Pisces horoscope and it's written very generically, uh, I generally throw it out. But then, again, I'm familiar with the subject. So so people like you and a lot of the listeners who say, well, I'm an Aries and I'm going to read my I'm going to read my sun sign horoscope. You know, you're kind of you got to be careful because some of those traits that are negative, you don't want to try and psychologically adapt them to say, well, I'm an Aries. This is how I should be. Mm-hmm. You know, don't use astrology as an excuse to be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, there was a debate at the beginning of the 20th century with a British astrologer by the name of Alan Leo, and he gave a presentation at the Royal Astrological Society in London, and the topic of it was basically, do the stars compel us to act, or do they impel us to act? Meaning, are we victims of our chart? Or do we have free will? And as you can imagine, the way the presentation went was he said, oh, we're the masters of our chart to a large degree. If we see something we don't like, we don't have to feel like we're fated to experience that. Mm. And I think that's important because we are free will beings. There's lots of things in my chart that I don't like, and I either go out of my way to make sure they don't manifest in my life, or ignore them altogether, or sometimes I rant and rave about them on social media and on the internet because they don't fit me. So if they don't fit me, there's a lot of other people out there they don't fit either. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, you know, Bill is a big believer in free will, and and you teach that as the fifth pillar in your astrology course, free will. I had a question, too, about your compatibility charts, because you do birth charts and you do compatibility charts. And um, I know that any relationship can work, you know, if two people are committed to putting in the long-term effort. But can you explain how a compatibility chart might be useful for couples in better understanding one another? Yeah, and let's let's expand that out, and I'll come back to it. Basically, that's... That is a a very nice way of saying you can cast an astrological chart for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a few years ago, I read an article on the Internet that said 50% of the Fortune 500 companies at the time opened their doors on a Mercury retrograde. Now, you don't have to know what a Mercury retrograde is to understand the point in this context because the point is that told me that 50% of Fortune 500 companies use an astrologer. Mm -hmm. So what that means is when they decided to start a business, they ran a chart to see when would be the best time to start a business. So it's in all kinds of sectors, and it's applied in all kinds of ways. Now, when it comes to compatibility charts, what I've discovered is it can explain why you have a connection with someone. It can explain hurdles or challenges that might exist between the two people that you might not notice until you have experiences that point it out to you. 
So if you do charts, you kind of go into the relationship knowing here's our strengths and here's our challenges. So if you're already in a relationship, then you can take that information to say, oh, this is why we keep circling back to these issues. This is why we are the way we are in context of that relationship. But it then by default, it also tells you what you can do about it. You know, uh, it got to the point in my adult life many years ago where I wouldn't date without running a compatibility chart. Mm -hmm. And if the chart said that we weren't compatible, I wasn't even going to waste my time. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and it's not that I felt like the relationship was destined or fated to go to any particular direction, but rather I looked at it and said, well, I'm going to save myself the headache of a guessing game on how this relationship's going to work out right yeah so you know through i know throughout history that presidents have used you know astrologers heavily and, and some of those have been, <clears throat> have been publicized and some of those have, have been hidden i guess because of the i don't know i guess variety of feelings towards it but th- this is something that you found to be and and i'm sure your clients as well have found to be incredibly reliable i'm sure that's obvious it's an obvious question but that would be true yes yes for sure yeah and, and so i'm i'm curious and this is slightly off subject but the the same way that the moon has a gravitational pull on the tide is that similar to how the planets and stars work with individuals, or is that something separate? No, you're 100% right, uh, and there's there's multiple proofs of this. The first one is that the human body is 70 to 75% water, mm-hmm. so it's simple logic. If the moon affects water on an ocean scale, it's going to affect humans. Now, beyond that, since the mid to late 1990s with the development of quantum physics we are now in a position as a species that we have the tools to measure unseen forces that we couldn't have we couldn't see before a real good example of this is the fact that just a year or two ago scientists validated an Einstein teaching which was that gravity works as waves and there are gravity waves all throughout the cosmos Mm -hmm. now i'm not saying gravity waves are the underpinning energetics of astrology but rather if gravity waves exist then so too do waves of other types of energy that we haven't discovered yet Uh, Another good example of this is that it has recently been confirmed that emanating out from the sun to at least all of the planets out to Saturn, there is an energetic cord that exists. And it's only been recognized and quantitatively looked at in the last few years. So there are invisible energetic connections that exist between the planets and that's why you know that's why i pay attention to a lot of scientific discoveries because the more they discover the more it validates the authenticity and accuracy of astrology Mm. and in your book um astrology and theory and practice which is an awesome book the first 
book of yours that I read, um, you discuss the significance of the planet energy and the luminary energy. Yeah, so I guess, you know, obviously, because the the, the thing that's most easy for us to see is the moon's pull on the on the tide so it'd be silly to say that there's not some type of energy happening there and why wouldn't it happen with other constellations and stars and things of that nature you know was few years ago i saw um and and i'm still hazy on this we've talked about this before but i saw a psychic and his client and they had one of those aura type cameras you know what i'm talking about and and they they literally showed from the psychic's mind um, a a color of light come from his mind into the mind of the person that he was, you know, the client. And so this wasn't some kind of new age silly program. This was like skeptics saying, "Hey, can we can we validate that something's really happening here?" And so I think you're. I think it's silly to deny some of those things, even though it may make us particularly in my tradition, it might make us a little bit uncomfortable. But as you said earlier, I mean, uh, astrology isn't a system that just belongs to pagans or uh, New Age. It's something that's been integrated in in really every culture just about. And trusted. Exactly. And uh, to meet you halfway on that, I encourage people to be skeptical. Hmm. You know, uh, something like the example that you just gave, if you can see that scientific tools and approaches validated that kind of connection, then to refute it means you don't believe in science. Mm -hmm. Now, by that same token, if someone tells you something and there's no science to back it up, well, do your research. Be, Be skeptical about it. I encourage skepticism i've had my share of skeptics in presentations and classes and i welcome them all because i need to be challenged and i also want people to think for themselves and the the beauty is the more that technology develops the more things are proven right and on one hand open-minded people that are open to the evidence that comes with it will take it and apply it to their own personal and spiritual development. But you can't always, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm-hmm. So some people will take it and work with it. Other people will say, well, that just goes against my belief, so I don't care if it's right. I'm not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the people that really need help because if science is saying this is the way it is, it doesn't matter what your beliefs are. You're met with facts. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know um, you know I'm I I don't need as much evidence really, but but uh, Gina is is a, a real thinker in my opinion, and I'm placing judgment here. But she she's a she's a thinker, and um, she likes facts, and she likes you know. Um, I, th- I guess things that that line up, and so in your study of astrology, you know, which you, that you've been doing with Bill, I know that you seem to be even more passionate now than you were, you know, maybe in the beginning. You're less yeah. skeptical, I guess. Is oh, that fair? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> no, yeah, I definitely see how it works. Um, 
I know that um, many people kind of brush off planet energy and, and, and moon energy. And, but, you know, if you just think about the sun, we need the sun to exist. We need the sun to have food. Um, everything would die without the sun. And even if we go without enough of it, we can become vitamin deficient or depressed. So that energy alone is an indicator that um, it's important and that if the sun can have that much energy, the moon has energy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you, you know, when you mentioned the tide, but if you talk to law enforcement or hospital staff, they'll tell you during the time of a full moon, all kinds of unexpected things happen. So um, it's really something people need to consider, and they need to consider positive ways to apply it to their life. Mm. Anything to add to that, Bill? Well, and in astrology, uh, you set the stage for an important point. In astrology, the way that astrologers look at it is that we are not our sun signs. The sun sign represents the qualities and the traits that we are working with and developing during this lifetime. We are our moon sign on any given day when we're going through life subconsciously. And the biggest reason for this is exactly what you illustrated. It's been proven again and again that the moon has effect. Uh, Visits to the emergency room are up during a full moon. Police dispatches generally take more calls during a full moon. Trips to the veterinary clinic with your with your pets and animals increase during a full moon. You know, this is an idea that goes back thousands of years and is the root of, wor- of words like lunatic, mm-hmm. lunacy. Mm. You know, yeah. and with that being said, um, do you have any pointers for people how they can apply lunar energy, you know, with the full moon or the new moon? to their advantage so the easiest thing to do would be number one see how you are during the full moon if you know that you can't sleep then work with that as your starting point Mm -hmm. if you know that you are okay but close family members kind of lose their minds for those two or three days then be aware of it and work with it that's step number one is just identifying it Mm -hmm. then step two would be to say okay well with a full moon there's more ambient energy in the air so what you can do with that is you can apply it to whatever goals you want so if you know that there's more energy in the air on a full moon well that's when you can get projects done or that's when you can start projects because Mm -hmm. that energy is at its height Mm -hmm. so as you can see between the lines it is a lot of experimentation but the reason that I roll it out like this is to encourage that experimentation to see how it's at work in your own personal life before you start reading a lot of material and trying to fit your life into what you read Mm mm-hmm yeah, you know, it's funny. I had a, uh, a Jewish uh, historian uh, on uh, the podcast 
maybe a year ago, and we were talking about, and I was telling him that you know, I, I, um, what one of the things I really liked about some of the things within other belief systems or traditions is that they were so earth based, and you know, they celebrated seasons and solstices and and all those kinds of things. And he stopped me and said, "Well, wait a minute. Now the Hebrews were completely earth based. They did everything based on cycles." It's the, it's the Westerners that got rid of that thinking. And so I think that you know, just because it's not present in your culture, and I, I know we're bad about this in the States particularly, right? <laughs> if, it's not, if it's not present in our culture, unless it's like Cinco de Mayo, then we're totally in favor of it, which is fine. I'm, I'm totally great with that. Uh, but unless it's not something in our culture, we have a tendency to, to, to dismiss it. And I think that, that sometimes, you know, you're really destroying or denying perhaps even something that the divine instituted to bring greater harmony. You know, because the, is it fair to say that, and obviously I think it is, you kind of said this, but different days of the month or different weeks within a month or within a year, they will hold different kinds of energy and we can work. It's almost like there's a flow and we can work either with or against that. Is that fair or is that right? Oh, that's completely fair and accurate. And modern psychology is even validating that to a greater degree. I'm starting to see more and more articles saying, People born during these months tend to be this way, psychologically speaking. Well, astrologers have been saying that for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to see that information out there because it's taking universal truths and rolling it out in a way that is digestible to people that may not realize the validity of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that being said, can you explain how astrology has an effect on the generations? You know, because every generation seems to have its own set of strengths and weaknesses. That's that's a fun topic, and I love I love talking about it. So this is kind of a cheat sheet to read between the lines for all of you out there that may pay attention to terms like baby boomers millennials, Generation X. In astrology, these particular generations are looked at by the placement of the planet Pluto. And the reason Pluto is used is because it moves so slow and it's so far away that usually it covers broad swaths of years. So, for example, the baby boomers are when Pluto was in the sign of Leo. The millennials are when Pluto was in the sign of Scorpio. Generation X is when Pluto was in the sign of Libra. Now, on one hand, that can be a fun game to play when you're filtering through the information you get from the media. Mm -hmm. Because if you know astrology to a certain degree, then you know that in the natural zodiac, it's not an easy exchange between Leo and Scorpio energy. And the way that's reflected in society is a lot of millennials not liking baby boomers mm-hmm. and vice versa. Right. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, so 
yeah, so then when you read between the lines, you're like, oh, this article is talking about baby boomers. Well, they're talking about the Pluto in Leo generation. And then what you do is you see what those different generations have contributed to the world, and that gives you a better understanding of what Pluto in Leo actually means and how it manifests in day-to-day life. I'm a big fan of practical astrology. you got to be able to put it to work for you. you got to be able to produce results with it. It's not a subject that you just read on weekends just for fun it should be a working tool to better your life and the lives of those around you Mm. very good yeah so uh one of the things i guess i wanted to ask you because uh solstices and equinoxes have been so important to to every really every culture that that's existed so i'm going to release this on the summer solstice um which is i think the 21st so tell me energetically, what is the significance of those, of those dates? First of all, I think it's absolutely fabulous that you're going to release it then, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, the equinoxes, the spring and the autumn, are when the sun is crossing the equatorial line as it's broadcast out in space. So it's a time of balance. It's a time of looking straight out from our vantage point here on earth and seeing the sun now the solstices are a little bit trickier to understand if you're north of the equator then summer solstice is in june and it's when the sun is at its highest point in the sky so it's the longest day of the year then winter solstice which is in december is when the sun is at its lowest point in the sky and it's the longest night of the year. But if you live south of the equator, those are reversed. Mm -hmm. The solstice in June is winter solstice and the solstice in December is summer solstice. But the principles are the same. Mm. Now... I like the fact that you're going to be releasing this on summer solstice to those of us in the northern hemisphere because the summer solstice is a time of great light. It is generally seen as a masculine kind of holiday and all about manifestation. And that both of those were lessons and philosophies that were brought through in Christianity. Christianity is a very solar-based belief system. Mm-hmm. So you're timing it in not just astrologically, but also on the deeper principles and underpinnings of what is generally called esoteric Christianity, mm-hmm. yeah. knowing the principles behind it. Wow. Okay. So it was technically it was Gina's idea to release it, but on that on that particular day. So I, I guess I, I give credit to the wife. <laughs> I guess I, I insisted, Bill. She did. She did. She did. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, it's so mind blowing. Really, um, I, I'm going to ask a silly question, but I just want an expert to answer it. Exploring astrology and, and some of the things that you just said could expand and and really open up so much for someone 
that is in my particular tradition. Yes? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's funny because uh, when I was in the Assemblies of God and I had my credentials and I was a pastor and I had, we had 16 fundamental truths, right? These are the 16 absolutes, (laughs) which, you know, is crazy. But I felt at the time that I knew everything, you know? My, my theology was so tight-knit. Uh, now, now the, the reality is a lot of it didn't work, and, um, and I struggled with that, but I just kept suppressing it and shoving it down further and further, which, by the way, that stuff always comes back up at some point and says, hey, I'm an unanswered question. You've got to deal with me. Uh, but the more I explore even my own tradition, let alone some of the other things, the, the more I realize is there's, there's so much out there that can be learned. I'm sure you've experienced there, that. There, there is. And it's even to the degree that during the early to middle part of the 20th century, there started to be more and more research into Christianity from an enlightened perspective. And what I mean by that is that more and more authors and traditions and really spiritual leaders were saying, well, the Bible says this literally, but what does it really mean? Mm -hmm. If you get past the words, what's the essence? And you and I have talked about this a few times. There was a lady by the name of uh, Corrine Helene that released multiple volumes called A New Age Interpretation of the Bible, and it looked at the Bible from a more enlightened perspective uh, at the time that she did that, and I believe she did it in the, the 50s and the 60s. There's a mystery school out there called Astara, which looks heavily at these same concepts in a more living way, a more esoteric way. So uh, it doesn't really look at the the literal words of the Bible. It looks at the underlying energetics. Uh, here's a good here's a good example of it. So we have the whole Cain and Abel story. Mm-hmm. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that the esoteric principle of that story was just, hey, human sacrifice is bad. Mm-hmm. Now, you know better than I about how that gets extrapolated out and looked at in a, in a casual Christian context, but people forget that when that was written, human sacrifice was still pretty common. Mm-hmm. So yes. not only was it all the, the principles and the lessons that you know, but there was also the subtle lesson of just, hey, don't sacrifice each other. Come on now, we're better than this. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, right off the bat, it recognizes that there are other gods in the world. You just should not put them above that particular god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because somebody, um, another author talked about, well, first of all, you know, a surface read of, of the Bible is the worst way to read the Bible. Uh, and and every theologian, well, credible theologian will say that. But one of the things this author said was, you have to realize how revolutionary it was at the time for a tradition to say, don't do human sacrifices. It was unheard of when that when that originally came out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. And we find fake traces of that in the Old and the New Testament. I mean, if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to go into detail, you could spend two or three episodes of your podcast just focused on analyzing the Book of Revelations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of symbolism there, not just from a Christian perspective, but an astrological perspective, from uh, a cultural perspective. You know, and that's just one book in the Bible, and the Bible is full of of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's even books that are part of the Christian tradition that are no longer part of the Bible. Tragic, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I've got a guy that's. It is. I've got a guy that's that uh, we've already recorded the podcast, but we talked about, and he's a he's a Christian guy, but we talked about. Um, how Christianity has viewed transcendental meditation as evil. And one of the things that he said is, what, what do you think was happening to the writer of Revelation? You know, exactly. what was going on there? That was a transcendental moment that he had. We, we might call it transcendental prayer to make ourselves feel better. But the reality is, is he was in a transcendent state that allowed him to see those things. It, it's kind of interesting because we... And receive information from spirit while he was in it. Yeah, I just think we demonize things that that we shouldn't. Well, and that's something that the the horror author H.P. Lovecraft uh, has a famous quote for. The oldest oldest fear of mankind is fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would have to agree with them on that. Most people fear what they don't understand. Yeah, and I and I think that that's true. I think we want to compartmentalize everything, and and we want it to be in nice, neat packages. But you know, that's that's never been God, and and uh, I think sometimes some of the some of the incredibly, I guess, uh, hard to believe things, such as Jesus walking on water, or some of these other things, are to bust open boxes that that people are uncomfortable with. So I, I don't know how we got to this place. Probably, probably those crazy Catholics. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, before I let you go, I, I do want to jump into just for a few moments. Um, how do people that are interested in this? How do they begin to get a little bit of a foundation with astrology? So the first thing to do would be to look up in in an ephemeris and you can easily go to your internet search engine and type in the word ephemeris e-p-h-e-m-e-r-i-s and then type in your birth year and it will pull it up for you or you can get the physical book itself now what that information does is it tells you what planet was in what sign and what was going on on the day of your birth. So then from there, you can get a book like like my book, Astrology and Theory and Practice, or any what's called cookbook astrology book that's just a resource of general information, and you can start reading it to get a sense of what astrology is all about. Then you can proceed to get your astrological chart done, and there are probably dozens of websites out there that allow you to get a free natal chart and a lot of them come with interpretations too 
you can get the interpretation if you want, but understand it's written very generically. So you want to take that information with skepticism. And then when you get that information and when you see what's going on, then the next thing to do would be to put astrology to work for you in your day-to-day life. And the easiest starting point is the moon because the moon goes through all 12 signs of the zodiac in 28 days. So after a month of study, you'll have a better sense of, oh, when the moon in the transiting sky or in the changing sky is in this sign, this is how I feel, or these are the experiences that I have. Mm. And there are there's a real good uh, astrology book out there that's a workbook for this called Astrology for Yourself, and it's set up as a school workbook format where you fill in the blanks and work with it as you go. Okay, yeah, that sounds uh, so. Um, whenever we talk about some of these websites, are there? Do you have any favorites that you really lean towards? You know, uh, there's a there's a website by uh, a famous professional astrologer called astro.com. I usually send people there. There's a lot of information there, and most of it's free. The only problem with it is it's kind of tough to navigate on your first or second visit there. Mm-hmm. So if you go there, you're going to poke around on different links, and it's going to take you to different sections. It's not like there's a big bright button that says click here for a free chart mm. it's actual and the reason for that is because there's so much information there whoever constructed the website is basically saying we don't know what you want so here's a bunch of stuff we leave it to you to figure out okay. but it is well it is well worth the time that you spend researching it okay and then i know gina's a fan of your book um, astrology and theory and practice. Now I haven't read it, uh, so Gina has. I know she loves it, but, but I guess my question is: um, it, Would that be a good, I guess, introduction for someone that doesn't know anything about it? It is, and there's two reasons for this. Number one, the first few chapters of the book lay a foundation for understanding astrology. Okay. Uh, For most of the 20th century, astrology was looked at as more of a psychological subject or a psychological tool, and the approach I take in my book is more scientific. Now, the second reason that I like to toot its horn is because it's full of exercises, and a lot of people will say, well, if I don't know the basics, I'm going to have a hard time with these exercises. But I want to assure you that the exercises are real simple. For example, exercise number one simply says draw a circle. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, exercise number two is, okay, now draw a line breaking it in half. And I I break it down this simply because I want to take away a lot of the fear that people have when they're first starting astrology. A lot. Astrology has been around for approximately 5,000 years, so there is a huge body of material, and when you're first getting started with it, it can be very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, and I like to take away that intimidation. Yeah. I have to toot the book's horn, too, because 
it's wonderful. I mean, um, it's just you, you break it down where it's very easy to understand. Um, as I was reading it, any question that I had come up, Bill, you answered it in like the next paragraph. So, yeah, it's perfect. I think it's a perfect book for somebody to read. Yeah, so, so that well, book and, is... Go ahead. And, well, and for people that uh, are still leery about uh, shelling out money for the book, a lot of the basis for those different chapters are free PDFs from my website. So you can go on my website, download basic astrology documents to get a feel for my writing style and where I'm coming from before you buy the book. And I do that on purpose. It's kind of like a sample it before you buy it. It's very well written. Wow, that is cool. So, So let's talk about that website and how to get there. It's... So there's two ways to get it. Uh, honestly, the easiest way is just buildduvendack.com. And there is a collection of digital courses on there that are astrology or not. You'll see them under, I think it's video courses. But then the ebook tab on the homepage is where you find the free PDFs. Also on the homepage, I do a full moon blog every month which is just musings and insights into what's going on with the full moon. I put it out every full moon. You can also subscribe to a free electronic newsletter that I send out every time the sun changes signs. So there will be a newsletter that goes out on, on summer solstice that's coming up when the podcast comes out. And that newsletter is a combination of basic astrology information of what's going on in the sky and the second half of the newsletter is more my events and stuff about me also bill if people wanted to get a natal chart or a compatibility chart can they also go to you for something like that yes uh they can either email me directly through the website or there's a page on the website called services that has all the prices and what the different charts are so they can look at that too. And, you know, if somebody has an idea that they want to explore but they don't see it on the website, hit me up. You know, it's almost impossible to list everything you can do with astrology. So I'm always open to ideas. And, for example, the planets move slowly to the degree that we go through astrologically timed life cycles at various points in our life. And I don't really talk about that a lot on my website, but sometimes people will approach me. Like, for example, I've done a lot of charts where somebody emails me and they say, hey, I'm about to turn 30 and I feel like I should look into astrology and what's coming up. Can you help me with that? And there is a life cycle that happens from about age 28 to 31 or 32 called your Saturn return. Mm-hmm. So that's not really listed on my website, but it goes to show that if somebody has an interest or there's something that's grabbed their attention, we can work with that because the odds are there's probably an astrological reason why that's happening. Right, and, and that being said with the planet returns. I know that um, we have a Pluto return coming up in the United States. I think it's in the year 2022. Yes, we do. Do you have any advice or wisdom for us concerning that? So 
for those of you that want to get in depth and detail on that, check out my YouTube channel, specifically the video called 2020. What Gina's talking about is that the planet Pluto moves so slow, it takes 248 years to go through the entire zodiac back to where it was at the time of birth. And I say birth here because nobody's lived to be 248 that we know of. Mm -hmm. So people don't have Pluto returns, but nations do. Mm -hmm. Now, the most recent example of this playing out is that when the French Revolution happened was the Pluto return of France. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to experience that here in the U.S., but it does go to show the intensity of the changes that are coming up between now and 2025. Mm. So these kind of changes are having to do with societal structures, long-standing traditions, long-standing institutions being shaken to their core and going through changes. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think, wow, it's really bad now. It's not, this is stage setting. The next few years are going to be more intense. And it's going to be a time of profound growth and change for the nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we can feel the undercurrent already. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a there's a podcaster that I like quite a lot. And um, I've been listening to him for a few years now. And just a month or two ago, he brought up that he had gotten into astrology about five or six years ago and that it completely transformed his life. And this guy is like a, a bodybuilding type guy, you know, very macho, uh, lots of testosterone type of individual who has, I mean, he just loves astrology. And he mentioned too, very similar to what you're saying, is that one of the things that astrology did for him was to explain or give him ideas about the cycles that were going to occur in his own life. So it can be used that way also, I guess? Yeah, and a lot of times uh, I work with parents on that because mm-hmm. parents will say, you know, how's my, you know, how's my kid's terrible twos going to be? Or what's the the teenage years going to be like? Or, you know, I just turned 50 and had a health crisis. What's going on? Can I expect more of this? Mm. I, I personally like working with the life cycles for people because it puts them in a position of empowerment and greater control over their responses to things. Okay. Yeah, well... Okay, so um, the best way to get a hold of your stuff, obviously, I'm sure all your <clears throat> your books are on Amazon, I would imagine. Most of them are, yeah. Yeah, and then you want to give your website one more time, if you don't mind? Yeah, uh, com. Okay, and so Duvendak is D-U-V-E-N-D-A-C-K. I nailed that, you right? Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, man, I... I definitely want to have you back, so uh, and I want to get this recorded that, that you'll come back. So I got oh, that as proof. Yeah, you've given <laughs> a chance for sure. Yeah, yeah, this has really been, I mean, just really mind-blowing. And I, I so appreciate you taking the time to, to hang out with us on my podcast. Thank you so much. 
Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for the invite. I hope you two have a beautiful day. Oh, you too. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so so hang on the line just for a second. I'm going to close this out, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you just for another minute, okay? Okay, that works. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Hang out for just a moment. I'll catch you on the other side of the music. All right, guys. Thanks so much, man, for joining me on the podcast today. I hope that you found it uh, intriguing, interesting. Maybe it gives you a little bit of inspiration to investigate this subject, um, I guess, uh, on your own, right? Because I think there's there's a there's a little bit uh, there's a lot here, really, and and it's interesting how it's been a part of. Um, the my my personal faith tradition for a long long time and so i and i enjoy the way that bill um makes it more i guess scientific as opposed to um something silly you know some of those horoscope things are so goofy to me not to criticize anybody's <laughs> belief but some of them are kind of goofy to me and 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 really just kind of hard to believe and uh, the way that Bill describes it and the way that he explains it, I, f- I find to be interesting. And I think it adds some credibility to it. Anyway, man, hope you guys enjoyed it. Listen, find, if you don't follow the Black Sheep Experience already, jump online, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. Follow, like, share. If you listen to the podcast very long, you know the routine right now, right? So make sure that you do that. We definitely, uh, I definitely want to uh, see your comments on this um, as um, as I posted on all those platforms as well. And also thank you to the beautiful Gina Hostetler, my wife, uh, for joining me and helping me out with this particular episode. All right, guys. Blessings. We'll see you next week. Done.